You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Four Seasons and the Archangels. This is Lecture 3, entitled The Easter Imagination. We must realize clearly how it is that in the depths of winter the earth, in relation to the cosmos, actually becomes a self-enclosed being. During the winter the earth's whole nature is concentrated. It becomes holy earth. In high summer, to add this contrast for the sake of clarity, the earth is open to the cosmos, lives with the cosmos. And in between, during spring and autumn, there is always a balance between these extremes. All this has the deepest significance for the earth's whole life. Naturally, what I shall be saying applies only to that part of the earth's surface where a corresponding transition from winter to spring takes place. Let us start, as we have always done in these lectures, by considering the purely material aspect. We shall look at the salt deposits, which we have had to treat as the most important factor in winter time. We shall study this first in the limestone deposits, which are indeed of the utmost importance for the whole being of the earth. You need only go out of doors here, where we are surrounded everywhere by the Ural limestone, and you will have around you all that I shall begin with today. Ordinary observation is so superficial that for most people limestone is simply limestone, and outwardly there really is no perceptible difference between winter limestone and spring limestone. But this failure to distinguish between them comes from the standpoint which yesterday I called the flea standpoint. The metamorphoses of limestone appear only when we look deeper into the cosmos, as it were. Then we find a subtle difference between winter limestone and spring limestone. And it is precisely this which makes limestone the most important of all deposits in the soil. After all the various considerations we have gone into here, and since we know that soul and spirit are to be found everywhere, we can allow ourselves to speak of all such substance as vivified, ensouled beings. Thus we can say that winter limestone is a being content with itself. If we penetrate with intuition into the being of winter limestone, as intuition is described in my book titled Knowledge of Higher Worlds, we find it permeated throughout with a most diverse spirituality made up of the elemental beings who dwell in the earth. But the limestone is, as it were, contented as a human head may be when it has solved an important problem and feels happy to have the thoughts which point to the solution. We perceive for intuition always embraces feeling, an inner contentment in the whole neighborhood of the limestone formations 
during the winter season. If we were to swim underwater, we should perceive water everywhere. And similarly, if we move spiritually through the process of limestone formation, we perceive this winter contentment on all sides. It expresses itself as an inner permeation of the winter limestone by by mobile, ever-changing forms, living spiritual forms, which appear as imaginations. When spring approaches, however, and especially when March comes, the limestone becomes, we may say, dull in respect of its spiritual qualities. It loses them, for, as you know from previous accounts, the elemental beings now take their way through a kind of cosmic spiritual exhalation into the cosmos. The limestone's spiritual thinking qualities are dulled, but the remarkable thing is that it becomes full of eager desire. It develops a kind of inner vitality. A subtle living energy arises increasingly in the limestone, becoming steadily more active as spring draws on, and even more so toward summer as the plants shoot up. These things are naturally not apparent in a crude outward form, but in a subtle, intimate way they do occur. The growing plants draw water and carbonic acid from the limestone in the soil. But this very loss signifies for the limestone an inner access of living activity, and it acquires on this account an extraordinary power of attraction for the Aramonic beings. Whenever spring approaches, their hopes revive. Apart from this, they have nothing particular to hope for from the realm of outer nature, because they are really able to pursue their activities only within human beings namely in their animal nature. But when spring draws near, the impression which the spring limestone makes on them gives them the idea that, after all, they will be able to spread their dragon nature through nature at large. Finding the spring limestone full of life, they hope to be able to draw in also the astral element from the cosmos in order to ensoul the limestone to permeate it with soul. So when March is near, a truly clairvoyant observer of nature can witness a remarkable drama. He sees how everywhere the hopes of the Aramonic beings play over the earth like an astral wind, and how the Aramonic beings strive with all their might to call down an astral rain, as it were. If they were to succeed, then in the summer this astral rain would transform the earth into an insult being, or at least partly, as far as the limestone extends. And then in autumn, the earth would feel pain at every footfall on its surface. This endeavor, this illusion, lays hold of the Aramonic beings every spring, and every spring it is brought to nothing. From a human standpoint, one might say, surely by now the Aramonic beings must have become clever enough to renounce these hopes. But the world is not just as human beings imagine it to be. 
The fact is that every spring the Aramonic beings have new hope of being able to transform the earth into an ensouled living being through an astral rain from above, and every year their illusions are shattered. But human beings are not free from danger in the midst of these illusions. They consume the nature products which flourish in this atmosphere of hopes and illusions. And it is naive to suppose that the bread we eat is merely grain, ground and baked. For within it are the illusions and hopes of the Aramonic beings. In outer nature these hopes are shattered, but the Aramonic beings long all the more to achieve their aim in human beings who already have a soul. Thus every spring human beings are in danger of falling victim in subtle, intimate ways to the Aramonic beings. In spring they are much more exposed to all the Aramonic workings in the cosmos than they are during other times of the year. But now, if we direct our gaze upward, to where the elemental beings of the earth ascend, where they unite themselves with the cloud formations and acquire an inner activity which is subject to planetary life, something else can be seen. As March approaches, and down below the Aramonic beings are at work, the elemental beings who are wholly spiritual, immaterial, although they live within the material earth, are transported up into the region of vapor, air, and warmth. And all that goes on up there among the active elemental beings is permeated by luciferic beings. Just as the Aramonic beings nourish their hopes and experiences, excuse me, just as Aramonic beings nourish their hopes and experience their illusions down below, so the Luciferic beings experience their hopes and illusions up above. If we look more closely at the Aramonic beings, we find they are of etheric nature, and it is impossible for these beings who are really those cast down by Michael to develop in any other way than by trying to gain domination over the earth through the life and desire that fill the limestone in spring. The Luciferic beings up above stream through and permeate all the activities that have risen up from the earth. They are of a purely astral nature. Through everything that begins to strive upward in spring, they gain the hope of being able to permeate their astral nature with the etheric and to call forth from the earth an etheric sheath in which they could then take up their habitation. Hence we can say, the Aramonic beings try to ensoul the earth with astrality. And there's a picture. The Luciferic beings try to take up the etheric into their own being. When in spring the plants begin to sprout, they draw in and assimilate carbon dioxide. Hence the carbon dioxide is active in a higher region than it is in winter. It rises into the realm of the plants and there it is drawn toward the Luciferic beings. While the Aramonic beings try to ensoul the living limestone with a kind of astral rain, the Luciferic beings 
try to raise up a sort of carbon dioxide mist or vapor from the earth. And that's still play three and the, the colors are blue and yellow. If they were to succeed, human beings on earth would no longer be able to breathe. The Luciferic beings would draw up all mankind's etheric nature, which is not dependent on physical breathing, and by uniting themselves with it, they would be able to become etheric beings, whereas they are now only astral beings. And then, with the extinction of all human and animal life on earth, up above there would be a sheath of etheric angel beings. That is what the Luciferic beings strive and hope for when the end of March approaches. They hope to change the whole earth into a delicate shell of this kind, wherein, densified through the etheric nature of mankind, they could carry on their own existence. If the Aramanic beings could realize their hopes, the whole of humanity would gradually be dissolved into the earth. The earth would absorb them. Finally, and that is Araman's intention, the earth would become a single great entity in which all human beings would be merged, they would be united with it. But the transition to this union with the earth would consist in human beings in their whole organism becoming more and more like the living limestone. They would blend the living limestone with their organism and become more and more calcified. In this way they would transmute their bodily form into one that looked quite different, a sclerotic form with something like bat's wings and a head like this, and there's a picture plate for This form would then be able to merge gradually into the earthly element so that the whole earth, according to the Aramanic idea, would become a living earth being. If the Luciferic beings, on the other hand, could absorb the etheric nature of humanity and thus condense themselves from an astral to an etheric condition, then they would assume an etheric form in which the lower parts of the human organism would be more or less absent and the upper part would be transformed. The body would be formed of earth vapor, plate 4, color blue, developed only as far down as the chest, with an idealized human head, red. And the peculiar thing is that this being would have wings, born as it were out of clouds, yellow. In front these wings would concentrate in a sort of enlarged larynx. At the sides they would concentrate into ears, organs of hearing, which again would be connected with the larynx. You see, I try to represent the sclerotic form through the figure of Araman in the painting in the dome of the Gertianum and sculpturally in the wood carving of the group. Similarly, the luciferic shape created out of earth vapor and cloud masses, as it would be if it could take up the etheric from the earth, is represented there. Footnote, the central motif painted from a sketch by Rudolf Steiner in the small dome of the first Gertianum, and in Rudolf Steiner's wood carving of the representative of humanity, and a footnote. Thus the two human extremes are written into the life of the earth itself. First, the extreme, that human beings would come 
too, if under the influence of Araman they were to take up the living limestone and thereby become gradually one with the earth, dissolved into the whole living sentient earth. That is one extreme. The other extreme is what human beings would come to if the Luciferic beings were to succeed in causing a vapor of carbonic acid to rise from below so that breathing would be extinguished and physical humanity would disappear while the human etheric bodies would be united with the astrality of the Luciferic angel being above. Again we can say, these are the hopes, the illusions of the Luciferic beings. Anyone who looks out as, at a, as a seer into the great spaces of the cosmos does not see in the moving clouds, as in Shakespeare's play, a shape which looks first like a camel and then like something else. When March comes, he sees in the clouds the dynamic, striving forces of the Luciferic beings who would like to create out of the earth a Luciferic sheath. Mankind sways between these two extremes. The desire of both the Luciferic and the Aramonic beings is to obliterate humanity as it exists today. These various activities are made manifest within the life of the earth. The hopes of the Luciferic beings are shattered once more every spring, but they work on in human beings. And in springtime, while on the one hand they are exposed to the Aramonic forces, they are also exposed more and more and right on through the summer to the Luciferic beings. These forces certainly work in so subtle a way that they are noticed today only by someone who is spiritually sensitive and can really live with the course of events in the cosmos round the year. But in earlier times, even in the later Atlantean period, all this had a great significance. In those earlier times, for example, Human reproduction was bound up with the seasons. Conception could occur only in the spring, when the forces were active in the way I have described, and births could therefore take place only toward the end of the year. The life of the earth was thus bound up in a wholesome way with human life. Now a principle of the Luciferic beings is to set free everything on earth, including conception and birth. That human beings can be born at any time of the year came about in earlier times through the Luciferic influence which frees mankind from the earth. This has now become an integral part of human freedom. Luciferic forces are actually at work there. Next time I will speak of influences that are still active, but today I wished to show you how in earlier times the aims of the Luciferic beings were actually achieved up to a certain point. Otherwise, human beings could have been born only in winter. As against this, the Aramonic beings try with all their might to draw man back into connection with the earth. And since the Luciferic beings had this great influence in the past, the Aramonic beings have a prospect of at least partly achieving their purpose of binding man to the earth by merging his mind and disposition with the earthly element and turning him into a complete materialist.
They would like to make his capacity to think and feel depend entirely on the food he digests. This harmonic influence bears particularly on our own epoch and will get stronger and stronger. If, therefore, we look back in time, we come to something accomplished by the Luciferic beings and bequeathed to us. If we look forward toward the end of the earth, we see humanity faced with the threatening prospect that the Aramonic beings, since they cannot actually dissolve humanity into the earth, will contrive at least to harden human beings so that they become crude materialists, thinking and feeling only what material substance thinks and feels in them. The Luciferic beings accomplished their work in freeing humanity from nature, in the way I have described, at a time when human beings themselves had, as yet, no freedom. Freedom has not arisen through human resolve or in an abstract way, as the usual account suggests, but because natural processes, such as the timing of births, have come under human control. That freedom has arisen at all, excuse me, that freedom has arisen at all is because of what has taken place in the realm of natural processes such as this. When in earlier times it became obvious that children could be born at any season, this brought a feeling of freedom into the soul and spirit of man. These are the facts. They depend far more on the cosmos than is commonly imagined. But now that human beings have advanced in freedom, they should use their freedom to banish the threatening danger that Araman will fetter them to the earth. For in the perspective of the future this threat stands before us. And here we see how into earth evolution there came an objective fact, the mystery of Golgotha. Although the mystery of Golgotha had, indeed, to enter as a once-and-for-all event into the history of the earth, it is in a sense renewed for human beings each year. We can learn to feel how the Luciferic force up above would like to suffocate physical humanity in carbon dioxide vapor, while down below the Aramonic forces would like to vivify the limestone masses of the earth with an astral rain so that humanity itself would be calcified and reduced to limestone. But then, for a person who can see these things, there arises between the Luciferic and the Aramonic forces the figure of Christ. The Christ, who freeing himself from the weight of matter, has Araman under his feet, who is resting himself free from the Aramonic and taking no heed of it because he is overcoming it, as we have shown here in painting and sculpture. And here is shown also how the Christ is overcoming the force that seeks to draw the upper part of the human being away from the earth. The head of the Christ figure, the conqueror of Araman, appears with a countenance, a look and a bearing wrested from the dissolvent forces of Lucifer. The Luciferic power drawn into the earthly realm and held there such is the form of the Christ as he appears every year in spring. That is how we must picture him, standing on the earth, which Araman seeks to make his own, 
victorious over death, ascending from the grave as the risen one, to the transfiguration which comes from carrying over the Luciferic element into the earthly beauty of the countenance of Christ. Thus the risen Christ in his resurrection form appears before our eyes, between the Luciferic and the Aramonic forms, as the Easter picture. The risen Christ, with Luciferic powers hovering above and the Aramonic powers under his feet. This cosmic imagination comes before us as the Easter imagination, just as we had the Virgin and Child as the Christmas imagination in deep winter and the Michael imagination for the end of September. You will see how right it was to portray the Christ in the form you see here, a form born out of cosmic happenings in the course of the year. There is nothing arbitrary about this. Every look, every trait in the countenance, every flowing fold in the garment should be thought of as placing the Christ figure between the forms of Lucifer and Araman as the one who works in human evolution so that human beings may be wrested from the Luciferic and Aramonic powers at the very time, the time of Easter and spring, when they could most easily fall victim to them. Here precisely is the figure of Christ we see again. Excuse me. Here precisely in the figure of Christ we see again how nothing can be done properly out of the arbitrary fancies that are favored in artistic circles today. If a person wishes to develop, a, to develop full freedom in the realm of art, he does not bind himself in a slavish, aramonic way to materials and models. He rises freely into spiritual heights, and there he freely creates, for it is in spiritual heights that freedom can prevail. Then he will create, out of a bluish-violet vapor, a kind of chest form for the Luciferic element and a form consisting of wings, larynx, and ear, as though emerging from reddish clouds, so that this form can appear in full reality as an image both of what these beings are in their astral nature and of the etheric guise they threaten to assume. Plate 4 Place vividly before you these wings of Lucifer, working in the astral element and striving toward the etheric. You will find that because these wings are actually feeling about in cosmic spaces, they are sensitive to all the secrets of force in the cosmos. Through their undulating movement, these wings, with their wave-like formation, are in touch with the mysterious spiritual wave activities of the cosmos. And the experience brought by these waves passes through the ear formation into the inner nature of the Luciferic being and is carried further there. The Luciferic being grasps through his ear formation what he has sensed with his wings and through the larynx closely connected with the ear. This knowledge becomes the creative word that works and weaves in the forms of living beings. If you picture a Luciferic being of this kind, with his reddish-yellow formation of wings, ears, and larynx, you will see in him the activity which is sensitive to the secrets of the cosmos through his wings, experiencing these secrets, 
through the inward continuation of his ear formation and uttering them as creative word through the larynx, bound up with wings and ears in one organic whole. Thus was Lucifer painted in the cupola, and thus is he represented in the sculptured group, which was intended to be the central point of our Gertianum. Thus, in a certain sense, the Easter mystery was to have stood at this central point, but a completion in some form will be necessary if one is to grasp the whole idea. For all that can be seen is the threatening Luciferic influence and the threatening Aramonic influence belongs to the inner being of the nature forces and the direction they strive to take in spring and on into summer. And standing over against them is the healing principle that rays out from the Christ. However, a living feeling for all this will be attained when the whole architectural scheme is completed and what I have described exists in architectural and sculptural form and when, in the future, it will be possible to present in front of the sculpture a living drama with two leading characters, the human being and Raphael. It belongs to the character of this architecture and this sculpture that a kind of mystery play would have to be enacted with the human being and Raphael as chief characters, Raphael with the staff of Mercury and all that belongs to it. In living artistic work everything is a challenge, and fundamentally there is no sculpture and no architecture if it is to be inwardly in accord with cosmic truth, which does not call for a presentation in the space surrounding it of the artistic action it embodies. At Easter this architecture and sculpture would call for a mystery play showing Raphael teaching man to see in what way the Aramonic and Luciferic forces make him ill and how through the power of Raphael he can be led to perceive and recognize the healing principle, the great all-pervading therapy which lives in the Christ principle. If all this could be done, and the Gertianum was designed for it all, then at Easter there would be, as well as a great many other things, a certain crowning of all that can flow into mankind from the Aramonic and Luciferic secrets. You see, if we learn to recognize the springtime activity of the Aramonic influence in the living limestone, through which a greedy endeavor is being made to take up the cosmic astral element, then we learn also to recognize the healing forces that reside in everything of a salt-like nature. The difference is not apparent in the coarser kind of activities, but it comes out in the healing ones. Thus we learn to know these healing influences by studying the workings of the Aramonic beings in the salt deposits of the earth. For whatever is permeated by Aramonic influences during one season of the year, we will go into this in greater detail next time, is transformed into healing powers at another season. If we know what is going on mysteriously in the products and beings of nature, we learn to recognize their therapeutic power. It is the same with the Luciferic element. 
We learn to recognize the healing forces, active and volatile substances that rise up from the earth, and especially those present in carbon dioxide. For just as I explained that in all water there is a mercurial, quicksilver element, so in carbon dioxide there is always a sulfurous, phosphoric element. There is no carbon dioxide which consists simply, as the chemists say, of one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms. No such thing exists. In the carbon dioxide we breathe out, there is always a phosphoric, sulfurous element. This carbon dioxide, CO2, one atom of carbon and two of oxygen, is merely an abstraction, an intellectual concept formed in the human mind. In reality, there is no carbon dioxide which does not contain a phosphoric sulfurous element in an extremely diluted state and the luciferic being strived toward it in the rising vapor. Again, we see in this peculiar balance between the sulfur element that becomes astral and the limestone that becomes living the expression of the forces we can recognize as healing influences. And so, among many other things connected with the Easter mystery, this mystery play at Easter, especially because of its enactment in front of the painting and the sculpture, would round off, for those who had the will to hear it, all that had been brought in the course of the year concerning various kinds of therapy, and this in a manner that would be artistically religious in a directly living way. This would indeed find its rightful place by being set into the cosmos and the seasons. And then the Easter festival would embrace something that could be expressed in the words, quote, the presence of the world healer is felt, the Savior who willed to lift the great evil from the world. His presence is felt, close quote. For in truth, he was, as I have often said, the great physician, in the evolution of mankind. This will be felt, and to him will sacrifice be offered in the form of all the wisdom about healing influences that man can possess. This would be included in the Easter mystery, the Easter ritual, and by celebrating the Easter festival in this way we should be placing it quite naturally in the context of the seasonal course of the year. To begin with, in describing the powerful imaginations that come before man at Michaelmas and Christmas, I was able to show them to you only as pictures. But, in the case of the Easter imagination, where, over against the activities of the nature spirits, arises the higher life of the spirit, as this can develop in the vicinity of the Christ, I could show how imagination can lead directly to a ritual in the earthly realm, a ritual embracing things which must be cherished and preserved on earth, the health-giving, healing forces, and a knowledge of the aramonic and luciferic forces which could destroy the human organism. For Araman hardens human beings, while Lucifer wishes to dissolve and evaporate them through their breathing. In all this the forces that make for illness reside. All that can be learned in this way, under the influence of the great teacher Raphael, who is really Mercury in Christian terminology, and in Christian usage should carry the staff of Mercury, 
can find its worthy consummation only in so far as it received into the mysteries and ritual of Easter, which include a great deal more than this. And this I shall bring another time. The end of Lecture 3